drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen. But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday? Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can. We're talking to everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen. I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and work-at-home mom who would love to devote more time to creative writing and journaling. And I'm Abigail Krebs, the writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm living my creative life nights and weekends after I get home from my full-time job at an ad agency. And you're listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Tonight, we're doing a solo episode where Abby and I dig into our own creative processes. We're going behind the scenes of our own creative lives, including the tools and schedules we use to manage our daily creativity. So, Abby, it's weird to not have a guest to introduce here. It is really strange. Yeah, it's such a different dynamic with just the two of us. I feel like we could get a little more off topic if we allow ourselves to. Yeah, we're going to have to work pretty hard to not get sidetracked here. But uh, the main topic of discussion tonight is how we actually make our creativity happen and the tools and resources that help us do that as we're, you know, juggling our busy lives and your day job and my toddler and all that fun stuff. So (laughs) that list makes me really glad we don't like live in the same house. Yeah. Yeah. That would be quite the overwhelming, (laughs) overwhelming lifestyle. Yeah, I agree. So I guess right away, what are some of the tools that you cannot live without? Yeah. So I have different tools that I use depending on if it's like my life life, like my personal life or my work life, which for you kind of blend a lot. They do. They do blend. That's something I'll probably end up talking about in this episode because I've had to draw some pretty hard lines to separate work creativity and personal creativity because there were, there was a lot of overlap and I needed some boundaries there. So, um, some of these tools have helped me set those boundaries too. So, um, I don't know. I think that a big thing for people, for creatives is that they just don't feel like they have enough time to work on whatever their creativity is. So one thing that I like to do, particularly in my personal life is outsource or automate things that I personally don't need to do. It's mostly like the mundane household chore kind of stuff, like grocery delivery. Um, We have a local company here called Coburn's Delivers that I use, but I know there are a lot of people out there who are liking Instacart, which is a new app that doesn't yet come to my zip code, sadly. But like grocery delivery, seriously, you can like order your groceries while you're sitting in your pajamas watching Netflix. Like that is a time saver, people. (laughs) I definitely like that idea. I have not done this yet. Um, mostly because I'm in town out and about every single day for work anyway, and either Scott or I stop and buy our groceries. Also, we're really, really picky about our produce. So like, what is the quality mm-hmm. of produce that you get? Or do you just not order produce through this service? Yeah, I don't always order produce from them, but when I do, it's been pretty good. Um, I'm okay. pickier about like fruit. Like, I don't know what, why I just like to pick my own fruit. Just depending on 
like what we've got going on. Sometimes it's just really nice to be like, you know, I don't have time to run to the grocery store this week. I'm just going to sit down and order it. Or like the first couple months after I had Hadley, I was like, nope, I'm just ordering all the groceries. I'm not going to the store. So um, once baby number two comes around, I'm sure I will be back to that same routine of using them a little bit more often. Um, so that's one of my favorite things to outsource for more time for creative things. Um, and then one of my other favorites that I have to admit, I haven't done this yet, but I have planned to for so long. I'm like, I just need to do this. I'm going to hire a house cleaning service. (laughs) I love that idea. I have considered it myself. And that sounds, I don't know. It sounds so lazy and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Like why on earth am I a perfectly Mm -hmm. capable human being going to hire someone else to come clean up my dirt? But like you said, it's something that you can outsource and you cannot outsource your writing. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually like I've done a little bit of research. Um, I've looked around for services using Thumbtack, which is I don't know if they have an app, but it's a website, Thumbtack.com, where you can go and um, just kind of type in what you're looking for. And you'll get emails from different service providers in your area with quotes for um, the type of job you're looking for. So Um, With that, I decided that I'm probably going to start a little bit smaller, maybe bigger, I guess, depending on how you look at it. I'm going to start with like a deep cleaning service where someone comes in and does like all the stuff where even if I didn't have a toddler, I probably would not be cleaning anyway, like (laughs) dusting the baseboards and like cleaning the appliances, like the kind of stuff that you just like spring cleaning stuff that just doesn't usually get done. Um, at my house anyway. (laughs) I'm really guilty of like not wiping out my microwave as often as I should. And it sounds so simple. Wipe out the microwave, but I don't do it. I got other things to do. Ours has melted butter on it like constantly. (laughs) Like every time I need to melt butter, which is apparently fairly often, there's just like always butter in our microwave. I'm like, I I don't even know why I clean this. It's just buttery. And butter adds good flavor to everything. So I wouldn't clean it either. Yeah. So I know, do you, do you use anything for like helping you with meal planning or food or cleaning, anything like that? I don't yet, mostly because I kind of feel like it's just Scott and I, we should be able to handle these things at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because as we've discussed in the podcast before, I am cheap or maybe I should start calling it frugal. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But we are actually saving to build a house this year. I don't know if I've mentioned that here on the podcast yet. Um, So we've been like really, really cognizant of where our dollars are going. And right now I just can't justify even like $25 a month going to a house cleaning service when it could be going in that house Mm -hmm. fund that's so lovingly labeled in my bank account. Um, So for right now, yeah, I've kind of put a kibosh on hiring those things out, but it's definitely something that is on my list. And as soon as I either am making enough money or... Um, just don't quite have as large of a savings goal. I think I definitely would be completely 100% on board with hiring someone else to scrub my bathtub. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say it's not something I was ever very interested in before we had Hadley and before I was, um, before my freelance business was bringing in Mm -hmm. as much work as it was. Um, because I was, I know, like I was working on the business, but I fell into that trap that all freelancers do where they say, you know, just ignore the housework. But when you're home all day and you have all the time in the world to get your work done and you don't have kids, sometimes like taking a break to do the laundry isn't the worst thing in the world that you can do. (laughs) 
get up from your desk, refill your coffee, switch the laundry, not a big deal. Right. Yeah. So just by nature of my daily routine, the house stayed pretty clean because there wasn't a tiny human messing everything up and throwing (laughs) food on the floor every three hours. And I was like taking these breaks where I cleaned the house just to sort of refresh my mind so I could get back to client work. So now that that's not happening anymore, I think that's why I'm getting to the point where I'm like, okay, this is something where it's worth like an extra $5 for grocery delivery, or it's worth like maybe like once a month paying someone to come in and like clean the floors that I never seem to be able to keep clean enough, you know? So it's been like, it's definitely a lifestyle thing. (laughs) I I agree. And I think that's really great when people can make it work for them and figure out, you know, what they can outsource in order to have a little bit more time for themselves. Um, I know like Kendra was saying in a previous episode, um, she only does the things during nap time that she absolutely can't do while the children are there, like right. And I think you said you Mm -hmm. have the same strategy. Yes, that is exactly how I have to structure my day because otherwise just none of my writing would get done. (laughs) Like none of my client work would get done. That's just how it has to be. And then I don't know. I just think about it and I'm like, you know what? I don't want groceries and dust bunnies to be the reason that I don't hit my creative goals. Like if I can't meet my creative goals, like for one reason or another, that's okay. But it's not going to be because of something stupid. Like, Oh, I had to go pick up milk when there's literally a person who will bring me milk. (laughs) (laughs) That. (laughs) That is such a wonderful perspective. I love how you said that um, dust bunnies and dirt are not going to keep you from being creative. Um, That's amazing. Um, So I haven't jumped on the the housework outsourcing thing quite yet, but I did start outsourcing people buying clothes for me, which also sounds ridiculous, but Uh, I still work, you know, mm -hmm. a nine to five job and it's not always just nine to five. And I have to have, you know, nice professional work clothes. And the more that I get into freelancing and trying to like spend all my time on creative projects, the less time I want to spend at a store shopping. It's not that enjoyable anymore. Like it used to be when you were a 13 year old girl and wanted to go spend the whole day at the mall. So I have started using Stitch Fix pretty consistently. Um, Whenever I need something like I need new jeans, I just tell them like, send me new jeans and they do. And that is amazing to me. So yes. Well, well worth the styling fee, I think, to not spend a Saturday at the mall, maybe ever again. (laughs) Yeah, I have really been liking Stitch Fix, too, actually. And I used to like shopping like Mm -hmm. a lot. It was like a hobby. Like if I was bored, I was just like, well, let's go to the mall and go shopping. And um, again, like lifestyle change. Once you are pregnant and you have a kid, like shopping is not that much fun because for one thing, now you have a child to bring with you if you're going to go. And for another thing, like none of your clothes fit quite right. And it's just easier to have somebody else like send you things that you might like. And then like it also saves you money in a way because you can Mm -hmm. pick out what you need instead of getting sucked into a store where you buy a bunch of things that you don't actually need. Yes, because they were 70 percent off. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I never have them like I never keep everything that comes in my box. So I'm never spending a ton of money in one shot. And I never have them send me professional clothes because I don't have a professional job. But I'll say that from like the casual end of things, um, they have they have good clothes for that lifestyle as well. That's definitely a good time saver. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one using it. I think it's just amazing. And I tell everybody about it. Um, I think that's really the only thing that I truly outsource at this point in life. 
Um, I will confess that we've been in an apartment now for a couple of years. We sold our first home and moved into an apartment. And Scott gets off work at 3 p.m., nine times out of 10. He starts nice. at seven, he gets off at three. It's a, it's a pretty you know short work day. Mm-hmm. He's on call a lot of weird hours, um, but you know, normal hours are seven to three. And I don't get home until 5.30, 6, 6.30 most nights. Um, so lately, mm-hmm. at least the last six, eight months, as I've been trying to like ramp up writing and doing this podcast and all those kinds of things, Scott has mostly started supper before I got home every night and does 95% of the cleanup afterwards. So he is like the dish doing man of the house. Nice. And that has been wonderful. It's also made me feel a little guilty from time to time because here I am, I am a wife and I'm not doing any of those, you know, wifey things. And it's taken a little bit to get over. And also a lot of Scott, like reassuring me like, no, it's fine. You have better things to do. I'm just going to sit here. It's not like I have a lawn to mow. So this is just kind of like where we're at in our life right now. And I have to be okay with it. Yeah. Well, and it just makes sense. You know, if he's getting home two or three hours before you that, you know, it's just what works for you guys since you both like to cook and it's like not some sort of giant imposition on him. (laughs) I think of that as like outsourcing for free because you're like just giving a job (laughs) that you think would normally be yours to somebody else in your household. Like that's totally okay. Like if you have older kids and you're maybe like, you know, they don't help out quite enough at the house. Like this is your chance, like get them or like (laughs) get your spouse or whoever, like to free up some of your time. That's totally acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I think for us too, it was sitting down and kind of having that conversation of, you know, I have these things that I really, really want to do and I know you want me to do them. So how can we make it happen? And that's kind of been our solution currently. I know when we build a house later this summer, fall and move into it, Scott is going to be like way excited to be outside all the time again and mowing the lawn and shoveling the snow and all of those things that he some, for some reason likes to do, um, unlike the rest of America. (laughs) And so then I will be probably be back to doing my own dishes again. So it'll take another adjustment. And I think that's something too, that we've just learned in the last couple of years. It's like every season of life has its different adjustments and you just have to figure out what that new adjustment looks like for you. Yeah, that is exactly how it has to go. Like you just have to take things in stride. And I know that can be hard for people who especially get into a routine and get into the flow of things. And then all of a sudden a new season comes up and they can feel like, you know, like your whole creative energy kind of feels off or like you find yourself like, oh, I haven't written anything in months. Why is that? It's usually because you're starting a new season and you just haven't found what works for you yet. So like, I think it's important to just keep experimenting Mm -hmm. and like figure out what's going to work for you now because it might not be what worked for you two years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. I know I even got thrown off this year with the holidays and I mean, battling like, why does Christmas take up a month of our lives these days? I'm, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it takes up like more than a I month know. by the time you figure in like Black Friday and when well, they start commercials yeah. and everything. It's like, it's like a long time. It does. It feels like from the middle of November until, well, and for us this year, we didn't have one of our Christmases until after New Year's for like a six week period mm-hmm. of life. You're just you can't bank on anything. Like nothing is for sure. And I don't really think I got back into a good, like I feel confident right now routine until the end of January Mm -hmm. this year. 
Yeah, that's quite a while to be sort of off kilter. But I, I suppose that happens different seasons of life. Like summer will do that to me mostly just because I don't feel like working in summer. I'm like, <laughs> it's nice out. We get very few months of nice weather. Like I'm not going to sit at my desk. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. And someday when I work for myself full time, I will do the same thing. <laughs> so let's talk about the schedules that we use to keep all of our various things on track. So whether it's like creative stuff or personal household stuff or work stuff, um, I'm a big fan of paper planners, but I don't think you are, are you? I think I would be a fan of paper planners if I could not be cheap and spend the like $60 to get a really good one. So Mm -hmm. for right now, I don't use one. Yeah, the nice ones are a little bit more expensive. I think I've talked here before, but I've used Day Designer in the past, um, which was a really great solution for me. Um, Now I like the weekly edition of Emily Lay's Simplified Planner um, because I'm just with having Hadley and working around her schedule, it's just easier for me to think of my tasks on a weekly basis rather than a daily basis because that way, if I don't get to something on a Tuesday, it's okay. Like I can do it the next day and the world is not crashing down around me. And because I'm at home most of the time, that's a perfectly fine solution for me. Like I know a lot of people are coordinating their calendars across like a bunch of different devices or they always need their calendar (laughs) with them. Yeah, that's not me. So why don't you talk a little bit about that side of it, how you keep things together? So this is a ridiculous confession, but I have two iPhones One is my personal iPhone, and it's like a couple models old. I never buy the newest of new for anything. And the other one is my work issue iPhone that I have my work email and work calendar on. So not only am I trying to jive my calendar with Scott's calendar and then also with your calendar for this podcasting thing, but then also (laughs) jiving it with my work calendar and so that I don't like get crazy because let's face it, it's easy to get crazy. Um, so I, I actually carry around two Apple devices with me at almost all times. It sounds ridiculous, but this is, this is the season of life. And I have just, you know, come, come to acknowledge that. (laughs) Um, so consequently I am a hardcore iCal user. I have it set up so that my work calendar syncs to my personal phone. My personal calendar syncs to my work phone. Um, Scott and I sync our calendars as well through the cloud. And that is amazing. Um, we actually, funny story, a year ago, Christmas, we got new iPhones, new to us iPhones and sat down on Christmas day. Cause we didn't have any family gatherings and like figured out how to sync things. Like that was our present to ourselves. <laughs> so we're really, yeah, but if it saves you time and stress, that is a worthwhile it did. It, Christmas I present. Mean, it's, a sign of our lame lives, but we were so giddy about it. Um, at work, I actually do use paper and pen, but not for my calendar, mostly just for like my to-do list. Cause I like to be able to see that like visual list of things and just cross things off. Um, but personally, and this is another thing, like I'm traveling to and from work every day and I already have to carry like a purse and my lunch and a coffee cup. Like the last thing I want to do is look around a, you know, multi-pound planner. Cause I have a feeling like those big, nice ones are a little clunky. Um, so I really, you know, sync through the cloud for calendar stuff. And then I've been using Asana for my to-do list. And this is more recent, like since you introduced me to the podcast (laughs) um, using Asana, I love it. And I started using it personally. I just have one little like project that I labeled life and gave it a bright yellow star. And so it's like first thing that I see whenever I log in and I kind of created, I just laid out 
um, in all caps, all the days of the week in this one project, like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I put tasks in each day that I know I need to get them done. And then as the week goes, I just like move that Saturday down if it's not Saturday anymore. And maybe I should like make a picture of this and share it somewhere. Um, it sounds confusing, but it works for me because it's visual, but it syncs to everywhere that I am. And that's kind of important for me right now. Yeah, I love Asana. I use it for a mix of business stuff and creative stuff, actually. Um, I have a couple of, well, first of all, for people who don't know, Asana is like the world's uh, most wonderful to-do list for people who uh, really enjoy to-do lists. Um, when you check an item off, you get a, like a little flying unicorn celebrating with you across your screen. Um and it's just like, I don't know why. It's pretty It's great. like 10 times more satisfying to check something off in Asana than anywhere else. So, And it's got the best user interface. It does. I think that's what's so nice about it because you can have different projects shared with different people. And then within those projects, you can have different, I don't even know what they're called, like mini projects. And then you can have sections and tasks. And it's just like the most organized to-do list that you could ever think of. So I use it like we have one set up for the podcast that keeps us on track with all of our episode to do's and tasks. Um, I have used them in the past to collaborate with people like a virtual assistant and a web developer to keep all those tasks on track um, business wise. And then I also use it um, in my personal life, not quite as organized as you do, Abby, but I use it um sort of as a place to like keep all those random thoughts that I don't want to lose. So um, like I have an ongoing list of things that I'd like to update on my blog. Um, and when I think of one, I just go in and add it to my Asana list. Or I have um, like an ongoing list of publications that I would like to pitch article ideas to. And so when I come upon a new publication where I'm like, oh, they look interesting, um, I add them to Asana so I don't forget okay. about them. So um yeah, the, it's sort of my master to-do list, and then it's got the app, so everything's synced to your phone, and that I highly recommend that if you're a to-do list lover. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's really nice. Yes, I, I second Asana, and I have tried Todoist, and I have tried To-Do, and I have tried Trello, and I've tried a whole bunch of things, and Asana is the only one that I've stuck with longer than, like, two weeks. Mm -hmm. If you're a linear thinker, it's very good. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And it sounds like you use Asana for like data dumping things. Yeah. I use Evernote for mm -hmm. that. I don't know if you are an Evernote user at all. I have tried it, but I can never get it as organized as my Asana is. So I try not to rely on it too much because I just, it just ends up being like a digital pile of post-it notes, which isn't any better hardly than a real pile of post-it notes. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I don't use it for to-dos because of that. Like things can get jumbled pretty quickly, mm -hmm. but I do use it as just like a digital reference library for myself. So I actually keep um, scraps of writing. Like if I just think of an idea and I want to get it down really quick, I put it in Evernote. Um, I have all of my recipes in Evernote, so Ooh. it doesn't matter if I'm at work or I'm at home, if I'm putting together a grocery list and I'm like, oh wait, how much of, you know, X ingredient did I need for that recipe? I can just search it in Evernote, find it and add it to my grocery list. Even if I'm in the store and I was like, oh, I didn't write down chicken. How much do I need? I can do that. And that's really handy for me. Yeah. That is a brilliant idea. Like keeping all your recipes and everything in there. Um, 
my recipes are all a jumble of like <laughs> cut out from magazines and half of them are on Pinterest because that's where I found them. And some of them are handwritten recipe cards. And that's definitely something that I could go through and organize and simplify yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's handy too, because you can install the Evernote web clipper extension if you're in Chrome, or I think it's also on Safari. Um, and then when you are on Pinterest and you find a recipe, you just click through to the source and you can clip it to Evernote and it pulls like your ingredient list and everything in for you. And that's amazing. The key to Evernote is to not go crazy with your tagging because then you just have like this list of tags that you have to maintain. And Evernote is like 100% searchable. So if I'm looking for like that recipe with the chicken and the salsa, all I do is like Google in Evernote salsa chicken and it pulls it right up. Like I don't have to remember the exact <laughs> name. I don't have to tag it a certain way. It just really works for me. Um, and then I also keep like a running list of, you know, bills that we pay and all of those different kinds of things just so that it's somewhere that's accessible like 100% of the time. Oh, those sound like really good, really good ways to use Evernote. I might have to give it another try now. I think I've just been using it incorrectly. <laughs> it's possible. And it's easy to do. I know there's a billion blogs out there written about how to use Evernote, which makes you wonder if they shouldn't just make the software more simple. But I think once you figure out how to use it for you, it works really, really well. Um, what sort of tools then, because we've been talking mostly about how we keep our personal lives on track <laughs> to make time for creativity, but um, even though you don't work full-time freelance, you do photography, you do have a mm -hmm. blog. So what tools do you use to keep that side of your life on track? Yeah. So I discovered about a year and a half ago, the software co-schedule. And for mm -hmm. me, I blog on WordPress and I'm also a very visual person. I like to be able to see things. So CoSchedule is like an editorial calendar that integrates with WordPress. And I think you can now use it without WordPress as well, but don't quote me on that. Um, so it, it automatically syncs to the back end of my WordPress and it pulls up all the posts that I have, whether they're drafts or scheduled or published or whatever, and lays them out in a calendar so that I can see them all and when they're happening and what my next due dates are and those kinds of things. And then I can also schedule out, I would say like 90% of my social media right there from that calendar. So whether it's, um, I can connect it to Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, Pinterest, I think, no, I don't think they connect to Pinterest. Um, and then Twitter is a big one as well. So I can make sure that I'm sharing all of my blog posts multiple times throughout the week or throughout the month. And that really is very, very helpful to me. Yeah, that sounds like it's a really good program. I have never used that one before, but I like that it combines an editorial calendar with your social media because that's something that um, I have tools that I use for those, but they are separate. Um, and I like that CoSchedule brings those together. Um, on my end, I'm also on WordPress and I have, I think it's just called editorial calendar. It's a plugin. It's a free plugin that just sort of brings up a calendar and then you can move post drafts or scheduled posts around right in the calendar instead of having to deal with WordPress's kind of clunky interface for that. Um, just makes it a little more visual. Um, and then what I do, because I wholeheartedly believe in outsourcing <laughs> and automating your social media work to uh, robots, if you can. So I use Edgar, which is... Um, it's a fairly new program, I think, and it's amazing. 
Um, it's an investment. It's $49 a month. But what it does is it can post pretty much anywhere. It doesn't post on Pinterest, but it can post on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can manage multiple accounts from the same Edgar interface. And then what it does is you save your posts. So like if you write up a post on Twitter, um, about a blog post that you wrote, you can save that under a category called my blog posts. And Edgar will keep recycling that post as long as you want it to from now until the end of eternity. So you never have to think about promoting that blog post again, because Edgar is going to do it for you. Um, so it's really kind of helpful because you set up a schedule and you tell it when to post for each category. And it just keeps all of your social media posts rotating in this cycle so that none of your past content or your archived content ever really goes unnoticed again. Um, basically playing into that idea that if you're going to take the time to create content, you may as well make sure that everybody sees it and no one forgets about it. So um, from that point, it's been really helpful. Um, I use it for my blog and I use it um, to circulate tweets about um, the podcast. So I highly recommend it. It's taken a lot off my plate, even though it is a significant investment. Um, I'm able to take it as tax deductible with the business. So that makes the price a little bit easier to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even if like, and this is probably even on the low side for someone who does content marketing for a job, but even if it saves you an hour a day all month mm -hmm. long, I mean, that's 20, 25, 30 hours. And that. Yeah or hours then that you could be spending on client work or on your own stuff. And I'm guaranteed that you're making that money back over the month. Yeah. I typically take one hour at the beginning of the week, either Sunday or Monday, and I fill up um, all of my, it has a, a one-time use category. So um, posts that it won't continue recycling. I fill that category up for the week with um, promotions for other people's stuff, cool articles or things that I've seen around on the internet that week. Um, so I fill that up with other people's things and then I'll go in and add my most recent blog posts and our most recent podcast episode and it takes like an hour and it's done for the week and I don't think about it again until the next week. That sounds amazing. And then you're freed up to just interact on social media and not be worried about remembering yes. to post something of your own. Yep. And that's exactly what I do. Um, it's not a solution for Pinterest or Instagram, unfortunately. Um, for Pinterest, I use Board Booster which has a, I'm not paying for it. I feel like they don't have a free version. Like I thought I was supposed to have to start paying for it at some point, but they haven't asked me to pay for it. So maybe it's free. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe don't say that too loudly on the internet. <laughs> I know. Well, I thought that it was like a free trial and then it went to $5 a month and I was like, Oh, $5 a month I can stomach. <laughs> um, but you know, my free trial is still I don't know, maybe they changed something. Don't quote me on any of this, but <laughs> Board Booster. Um, they don't have the greatest interface, but what they do is they just will loop through past pins um, and then they'll create secret boards so you can dump a whole bunch of new pins onto those secret boards and then they'll space them out pinning throughout the week so that... Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so you can go and spend like a half hour on Pinterest, get a bunch of stuff out there and it'll take care of everything for the week without you having to remember like, oh, did I pin anything today? 
Um, so it's kind of a similar concept to Edgar. It saves a lot of time. No, that sounds amazing. I've not used that before. I've not really used Pinterest as a big blogging strategy for me thus far. Like about every two or three weeks, I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably Pinterest. And then I go pin whatever is most recent and kind of click around. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been using it more and more so like last year when we were kind of planning out our house for ridiculous amounts of house inspiration, but that's about all I would allow myself. Yeah. Pinterest is like, that's my favorite thing. I do use it quite a bit for business just because I've found that there's kind of this like little group of people on there, like writers and business owners who are interested in that. So I tap into that. But when I'm just on Pinterest for fun, it's for the house ideas. Like I love like home design and real estate. And so anytime I'm on there, I'm like, Ooh, what's going on on the house house boards? Well, excellent. Um, I guess I have a question for you, and this is one I'll share my answer to as well. How do you create your graphics? I know you have said before you are not a graphic designer. No. I (laughs) am always impressed by what you're putting out. So what do you use? Yeah, well, I tried using all the things that um, come sort of recommended. Like I tried Canva, and for some reason I just was never like, a huge fan of it. I could just never get things to look quite the way I wanted to. And I tried PicMonkey and that worked out pretty well, but it just seemed to take so much time to create every new graphic. So what I eventually did based on advice that I'm pretty sure I heard from Regina from byreginatv.com, uh, the amazing, amazing Regina. If you don't know who she is, you need to go look her up right now. She's fantastic. Um, but she uses pages um, and she's talked in like if you've ever followed any of her workshops or kept up on her blog posts, you've probably seen somewhere where she shows you how to use pages to create everything from the cover of an ebook to a blog graphic to um, a worksheet that you turn into a fillable PDF. Like pages is a really versatile piece of software, which I didn't realize until I saw one of her tutorials. So now I have a template set up in pages and all I do, like it's got all of my brand colors saved in this template. It's got the fonts I used saved in the template and my logo in there. And all that I do is add a new photo for the background, which I get usually from death to the stock photo, Mm -hmm. um, which is my favorite stock photo website. They have free options or a paid version for $15 a month. And then I just update the text with whatever that blog post title is. And I'm good to go. And it takes like if it's a bad day and I'm like really distracted or something, it might take 20 minutes. So that is not bad at all. Um, that is what I use. I do a little bit of mix. I do use Canva and I like it because then if I'm at work on my lunch hour or something, I can work on graphics if need be. Um, instead of like lugging my MacBook with me to work, Mm -hmm. which is also a pain. So I've used Canva a lot in the last year or so, and I've been using Canva to do the graphics for chasing creative as well. Um, every now and again, you just can't beat Photoshop. Um, I do have the full Photoshop suite. And so every now and again, I'll pull something in there and, and fiddle with it. Oh, nice. um, it works really well for layering things and text on images. Um, but I've never, ever mm-hmm. taken a class in Photoshop. So I'm completely self-taught and not very efficient at it. So if I do a Photoshop graphic, it takes an extremely long time. Like, I don't even know because I try not to. Yeah. Photoshop just feels so daunting to me. I'm like, there's all those buttons and I don't know what any of them do. There's too many options. And so I actually, for my photo editing, I even use Lightroom, which is like Photoshop, but not on steroids. And then if something is like beyond Lightroom's capability, Mm -hmm. then I take it into Photoshop and and do whatever I need to do. See, I really use Canva a lot. I've tried Mm -hmm. PicMonkey. It's way too clunky. 
Yeah, it isn't very streamlined. <laughs> no, it has a lot more capabilities. I mean, again, like Photoshop, but it just isn't as user-friendly. If you want it something a little more user-friendly, I would go with Canva for a web-based um, software. But otherwise, I love the idea of doing pages. I never thought of that. Yeah, I never had either. But like I said, I can't take credit for that idea. There are smarter <laughs> people than we out there. <laughs> Which is a blessing because I would hate to have to be the smartest person in the world all the time. I think that would be really painful. Yeah. So now that we've kind of run down all the tools that we use, did you have any other tools you wanted to talk about that we didn't hit on? I, I don't think so. I know you mentioned that you use Edgar for sharing other people's blog posts. Um, I tend to use mm -hmm. Buffer for that. You can share like 10 things at a time and that kind of like fills up my queue for the week. And I just throw, um, you know, articles or stories or um, podcasts or things in there that I want to share on Twitter um, into Buffer. And that works really well. But otherwise, I think that's all of the tools in my current arsenal. Okay. Yeah, I like Buffer too. That's what I used before I had Edgar. So they're another good one. Um, so anyway, now that we've heard about all the tools that sort of like help us keep our lives on track, um, let's talk strategy a little bit. So the actual actions and steps that we take to make creativity a priority when there's always so much stuff to do. <laughs> that is an understatement. Um, oh goodness. <laughs> strategy is hard. I... I didn't really start tapping into my own creative life. Um, I did in high school. I took a lot of art classes. I was very artistic and creative, if you if you want to call it that. Um, but then, you know, got into real life, and real life is not as poetic as what your high school art class is. Um, mm -hmm. So I really kind of got out of touch with that. And it's just been the last two or three years as I've picked up my camera again and got back into photography and realized that I really, really, really want to do this writing thing that I've started actually thinking of a strategy to make creativity happen. I mean, what about you? Yeah, I sort of, I'm one of those English majors who ended my degree being a little bit burned out on writing and on reading. Um, mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I feel like that first year or two out of college, I poured most of my creative energy into the business and getting that up and running and didn't spend very much time at all on what I would call like my personal creative pursuits. So that's something that I've been getting more into lately. And I think as far as strategy goes for me, it comes down to just making, not necessarily having like a really disciplined routine, but just remembering to make space for that and to make it a priority and to sort of listen to when I'm feeling that pull to write something or to sit down and read a book, like thinking like, okay, when is the next time that I'll have, that I can make space? Like, where can I make space in the next 24 hours for this thing that I want to go work on? Yeah. I like that a lot. I know it sounds silly when you're like, oh, I didn't remember to be creative, but you do, you get bogged down in, you know, getting ready for the day and then doing the day. And for you, it's chasing around a toddler and fitting in client work. And then you're like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, shoot, I forgot about supper. And now there's dishes to do. And oh, wait, this laundry's been in the laundry for three days and it probably smells again. Yeah. <laughs> so, probably just needs to be washed again. <laughs> guilty, guilty. But you do, you get through all of those things. At the end of the day, you just like sit down and you're like, I have no energy left for anything else. And, oh, I forgot to do anything at all that was for me personally. So I know I experienced that as a non-mom. I can't imagine what you guys do as moms taking care of children all day. 
Yeah, but sometimes I feel like, like I, and this is just kind of me like spitballing because I have to admit I have never had like a real like nine to five job ever. Um, I had a couple of jobs where I would work like six or maybe eight hour shifts, but not every day during college. Um, And that was enough to like completely suck the life right out of me. Like in a cubicle under fluorescent lights, I'm like, I cannot do this. And I think that was way more energy draining from a, uh, maybe not physically, but from a creative perspective, that was more draining than chasing around (laughs) a toddler all day for sure. Cause they say that sometimes like, you know how, if you stop focusing on a problem, sometimes your creativity sort of kicks in when you're just doing something else. Um, I think one of the more frustrating parts for me right now is that I come up with creative ideas and all these things that I want to work on all the time because I'm always away from my computer and I'm not always attached to my phone and I just don't have the like I can't always like stop what I'm doing with Hadley to go and work on that stuff so it's sort of frustrating (laughs) in a backwards (laughs) sort of way Um, it's not that complete drain that you have when you come home from a nine-to-five job which is a different sort of animal I think yeah no I agree I've been working full-time or close to full-time now and this is a kind of a shame to admit it but for 14 or 15 years. I mean, I got a job waitressing in high school when I was 14 and started working, you know, 20 hours a week in addition to going to high school um, and kind of carried that on into college. And there was a year or two in there where Scott and I were married and I was in college. And so I wasn't working because we were able to use his income to survive. And frankly, we would have never seen each other. And that wouldn't have been really good for a marriage to just never see your your life partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of quit working then. Right. Um, but then, I mean, as soon as I graduated, I got another full-time job and have just gone full-time job to full-time job to full-time job. Um, so I'm kind of like used to it. I guess I'm just used to not having my nine to five open to do anything creative. And I just have tried to figure out ways to make it work in the, the kind of the margins of life. Yeah, because you've talked before, I think, about how you take every Saturday or every other Saturday. And if at all possible, you sort of try to block that off for creative things, right? I I do. And that wasn't a luxury that I had until about a year ago. Um, Scott and I were very involved in our church. We were doing um, youth ministry for a long time which if anyone here listening has done youth ministry, you know that that is even more creativity sucking than a full-time job. And so, (laughs) and I love the kids. I absolutely love the teenagers that we worked with. Um, But they, I mean, they are an emotional bundle of their own. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I can imagine. (laughs) Once you do like retreats and conferences and lock-ins, like you can just not sleep for three weeks and you don't have a baby. Like that's just Mm -hmm. the the reality of it. And we did it for several years and kind of got burnout. Um, And I'd also started a new job that was much more um, engaging during the daytime. And I was much more burnout at the end of my day. And we finally just had to be like, okay, we got to rein this in. We're not spending time with each other. We're not, you know, doing things that are good for us. And I'm also really, really, you know, upset that I am not in any way, shape or form making progress on any project that I want to. Like I have paint supplies sitting in the cupboard that haven't seen the light of day for five years. I have, and we talked about this, like a wedding scrapbook that's still not finished and Mm -hmm. we will have been married for (laughs) 10 years this year. Um, And then also, you know, this novel idea that's been, you know, picking at me since I graduated college and I've just not made progress. And so we had to kind of take a step back and kind of realize I've realizing and then also just kind of thinking intentionally about what I want life to look like. 
Um, because these are, you know, the years where everyone says, oh, have fun. You don't have kids yet. You should be enjoying life. And I was like, I was not enjoying life. It was not that fun. And I was kind of like looking forward to having children with this dread. Like if this is the best as it's going to get, then I'm kind of out. Um, and I wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. depressed or anything like that. I would never use those words to describe me. I just wasn't engaged and happy and living a life that we really wanted. And I think as soon as I kind of realized that and started doing things that made me happy again, as like cheap as it sounds, I just really was a much happier person. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Like you have to make room for those creative things, even when you feel like there is no space for it. Like if you truly don't have room for it and you truly don't have the energy for it, like that's almost the worst kind of burnout where it's not even burnout from doing the thing that you (laughs) like so much. It's like burnout from the rest of your life. And then you feel like you're not moving toward this thing. That's such a passion. And that's so important to you. That's like, it's the worst feeling ever. Well, and I wasn't doing a service to like anyone around me. I was, you know, cranky and I wasn't focusing on anything a hundred percent because I was just so distracted by how blah life was, if that's a word I can use. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe that's a strategy people need to consider is like, sometimes like, especially I feel like in our current generation and in just like the culture that we live in, like it's really easy to overcommit ourselves. So maybe you've got something going on in your life where it's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but maybe there's a commitment that you need to take a step back from as part of your creative strategy, because you just don't have the bandwidth to do everything. Maybe it's the end of that season. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to think of it. Um, and if you think that that might be you, a book that I read that might be helpful about that was the best. Yes. Or your best. Yes. One of it was something it about the best, yes. Lisa Turkhurst. I just butchered her name. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Butchery or yes. not, yes, that is her <laughs> name. <laughs> um, and I have to admit, I didn't actually finish the book, but I read like seventy-five percent of it, and it was it was definitely a good read for somebody who's feeling a little bit overcommitted or overwhelmed in what they've got going on in their life right now. Why don't we walk through like what a what a day in the life for each of us looks like, because we have such different perspectives, I think on, um, like our days and our routines and what life looks like. So do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah, I can try. Um, so I work typically, um, I usually leave the house. I, we have somewhat flexible hours and then I can be at work at eight or eight 30. And so in order to miss rush hour and save like another 10 or 15 minutes of my day, I leave my house at eight and I get to work about eight 30. So I have about a half hour commute. Um, I work, you know, eight 30 to five 30, sometimes six, um, most days. And that's really intense. I mean, I'm doing client work, going to meetings, um, all those kinds of things. And then I usually get home between six and six 30. And then we end up, you know, making supper, Um, and then a lot of the times I hop on the podcast here with you, and that's been a great way to kind of reclaim Mm -hmm. some nice evenings. Um, so my creative work gets done either before 8am. Um, so I try to get up, try between 530 and six, and, um, I kind of let 
whatever I'm feeling like dictate what I do that morning. So like this morning I was kind of groggy and tired. I mean, it's Monday. Um, so instead of, you know, writing or editing photos or anything, I just schedule out Instagram posts for the morning. Cause it's kind of a mindless, easy thing to do. Um, and I use later gram for that. And I think you do as well. So that's mm-hmm. a wonderful tip. If you're yeah, I do. frustrated with Instagram, look at later gram. It's really, really helpful. Um, it doesn't post to Instagram, but it saves all of your scheduled posts and lets you just like copy paste. So it's great. Um, so like this morning I did, I spent, you know, 45 minutes or so going through a year's worth of images and picking out what I wanted to share this week and kind of crafting a message based on what's going to be going on in life that day. And I tend to edit those throughout the week too. Like if I get to Wednesday and Wednesday's caption just doesn't sit well with me, then I edit it completely. Um, so that's what I did this morning. Some mornings it is um, doing novel revisions. Some mornings it's even reading a book because I need to review it on my blog. Um, different things like that. So I try to be creative in the morning before the rest of life just kind of goes downhill from there. I am an early to bed kind of person. So in the evenings, if we you know make supper and we do a podcast and then kind of wind down for the evening, um, once in a while we'll watch TV if I'm not podcasting. Um, I try to go to bed at like 930 because I like sleep. Yes, I am with you there. (laughs) Yeah. And I find that I'm no good. Like if I'm tired the next day, my morning is going to be just not worth it. So I might as well go to bed when I'm tired and work when I'm not tired. Yeah. I like how you've got like your morning routine down. It reminds me a little bit of what Amanda said when she was on here, how she spends like 30 minutes writing every morning. Um, I feel like I would need to be a little bit more like you where I'd be dictated by, um, like by what I feel like doing, but unfortunately I, or by deadlines. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Deadlines also those help. Um, unfortunately I don't have the luxury of spending my mornings the way I'd like to anymore. Um, I could, if I would drag my butt out of bed earlier, but I do not. Um, Hadley gets up. It's hard by like six 30 most mornings. And I'm just like, no, that's not something I'm like, I'm, if I get up at six, by the time I'm like up and have breakfast, she's waking up and that just doesn't feel worth it to me when I can eat breakfast with her since I need to make her breakfast too. So you can like (laughs) sip coffee while you spoon cereal into her face. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah. Um, so my days are mostly like I wake up around six 30 with Hadley and then the morning is all like dedicated to her, like taking care of her, getting her dressed, fed, ready for life, et cetera. Um, in the summer, we will usually take a walk in the morning and, um, I will bring a book with me for that. So I'm like kind of famous around our neighborhood. I'll either grab a small paperback or my Kindle and read while we walk around if it's a nice enough day. Um, in winter, do you have it like propped on the stroller? No, I just push the stroller with one hand and hold the book with the other. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Like sometimes if I'm in a really good book, we'll take like three walks a day. I'll be like, come on, time for another walk. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in winter, I don't get to do that. So we might run to the grocery store at a Target or something. But otherwise, we just spend the morning hanging out. Um, Usually I'll listen to a podcast in the background or something. And then um, right now... It's always a little bit different, but at the moment, Hadley goes down for her naps around 10, and on a good day, she will sleep between noon and 1, so that's like a pretty solid, yeah, it's a solid chunk of time, and I know that that's probably going to change for me soon, and I'm going to have to figure out my life again, but I will take it for as long as I can get it, so... um, (laughs) 
like Kendra was saying, nap time is pretty dedicated work time. She used her nap times to get her writing done, but I have to use mine to focus on client work um, because they pay me and they need, you know, work from me. (laughs) So uh, oftentimes that is writing because I do content marketing. So I'm usually writing blog posts for other companies or blogs or Um, I might be editing blog posts, uh, occasionally here and there I'm writing website copy, although I don't do that very often. Sometimes I'm proofreading manuscripts, which is kind of fun. That's like you get like actual hard copies of books from publishing houses and like going through with an actual red pen. And that makes me feel very editorial. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It is kind of fun. Um, I don't do that as often as the writing side of things, but it's a nice job to sort of shake things up every now and then. Um, And then I work until Hadley wakes up and I try not to do too many emails during that time. I'll sort of get through my emails right when she goes down for her nap. And then I try to stay out of my inbox for the rest of nap time because otherwise I won't get any actual work done. Um, And then the rest of the afternoon is like lunch and Again, if it's summer, we'll probably go for another walk. Otherwise, if she's doing kind of some independent play, I'll try to jot down some ideas for a blog post or I'll like read a book while she's sitting there playing. But oftentimes, I don't even get to do that. So um, more creative work wouldn't happen until later in the evening. Um, She goes to bed around 7 right now. So um, like you said, some nights we're recording a podcast and some nights I might go back and like edit a podcast or listen to a past podcast that we've done so we can write up the show notes. Um, I count that as creative work because like I said before, I kind of had to draw hard lines between business creativity and personal creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, before there was just this big overlap where, I felt like my personal creativity was never getting done because every time I had a spare moment, I spent it on business because business brought in money. So therefore, it was more worthwhile, right? Um, But (laughs) that's not true. To a degree. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you do have to buy groceries. So Yeah, but the personal creativity still holds value, as I've come to realize. So I've because I am so dedicated to nap times, I try to work really hard to not do any actual actual client work during the evenings or on the weekends. So weekend nap times, if I'm not hanging out with Jacob, will, I am usually either working on the podcast, which I consider like fun creativity, or um, that might be a time that I do some journaling, catch up on reading. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I have a couple of different publications in line that I want to write for. And some of those publications might pay, but I look at it as like I'm writing and I'm pitching for them because I'm interested in being published by them. And if they pay, that's like a bonus, but that's not why I'm doing it. Um, So in that sense, I don't consider it part of my client work that gets lumped into nap time. So that's sort of how I've had to draw the creative lines for right now. Yeah, that sounds good. I like that you count it still kind of play to be pitching ideas and stories for publication. I think that's really great. And like you said, if they pay, it's a bonus. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and everybody's going to look at that differently. Like I have freelance friends who are primarily writers and don't do very much editing. And so when they pitch a magazine, they consider that work because they're trying to build their portfolio so they get more of the same work. And 
Like, so everybody's going to view that a little bit differently. But right now I've just had to separate, like, these are my work times. These are my non-work times. And I just can't cross those boundaries. No, that's really good. It's really, really hard to do too. I know even though I have pretty defined work hours, you know, that iPhone with that email comes home with me. And luckily I have a, I work Mm -hmm. for a boss and a company that really value, I mean, it's a smaller company, so family time and all that is, is very important. And I only get emails when it's absolutely necessary that I attend to something now, but it's still kind of always there in the background um, that you want to, you know, be checking in on. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so yeah, I really like I like I don't return emails on Saturday unless it's something mission critical, and that's really nice to just kind of have those boundaries. And at a previous job, I did not have those boundaries. I was expected to respond day or night, seven days a week for any reason. Um, so this is, this is a breath oh, of fresh air. So oh draining. my goodness. It was <laughs> not great. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah. So with all of that, with all of you, you know, divine, d- divining, divining, are you divining things, uh, defining <laughs> your boundaries between, you know, work and creativity. And like you said, um, you know, creative work isn't as worthwhile as client work, which you say that, but it's tongue in cheek. Like it is worthwhile. Um, how do you define creative success? Like, do you have a definition of what success looks like to you creatively? Yeah. Um, I, this was a really hard question for me, even though I have thought about it before, because I know that you see so much stuff online, especially being in the freelance world where there are creative entrepreneurs out there who are like, you can earn six figures and you can do this. And it's all very money focused. Like it's all people saying, once you earn X amount of dollars, like you will be successful or once you're published in this magazine. And I didn't want to define success that way. So what I have sort of decided I had to separate my personal creative goals from my business creative goals. So I look at success differently for both of them. Um, For personal creativity, I view it as success if I just feel like satisfied and fulfilled in my creative life. Like if I'm pitching to magazines and I'm writing pieces that I'm proud of and they're getting rejected, I'm still probably going to feel pretty good that I took the time to write that stuff and put myself out there. And I did not feel that way a couple years ago. So I feel like that's been a big step in the right direction for me where I'm like, I'm okay with just doing the creative work, even if it never really sees the light of day, even if nobody wants it. So that's on the creative side of things. And then on the business creative side of things, which is weird because (laughs) it's still a type of creativity, even though it's not like my main creative focus, it's a strange dichotomy, but On the business side of things, I just want to focus less on an actual dollar amount and focus more on, am I contributing a full-time income to our household on my own terms, working a schedule that works for me? And right now the answer to that is yes. So um, I guess on both sides, I'm considering it successful, even though I still have goals to keep pushing myself forward. I am trying to get away from that competitive, comparing yourself to all the other people on Instagram feeling that it's so easy to get sucked into. (laughs) It really, really is. And I love that you said that you are defining success based on what works for you. Um, You know, you're, you're contributing to a full-time income, but on your own terms and on your own schedule and in a way that allows you to stay home with Hadley. I mean, I think that's really, really important and you've made that a priority and I think that's great. 
Yeah. So how about you? How would you define success for yourself? Oh gosh. Um, success for me is interesting because I work the full-time job that that is, you know, priority number one. Um, and so honestly, like priority number one for us right now is money-based and it is like saving for this house. Um, we've been trying to for years and years and years, and this is finally the year. And so we're really buckled down and being very diligent about it. Um, but success for me creatively, I think is just not being afraid to put myself out there. I know, like I mentioned, like three or four years, I just wasn't really in a good headspace and I was unhappy. And, um, a lot of that was just based on how busy I was, but it also, I mean, it had something to do with the way I was raised and I, um, had a slightly complicated childhood. I never like to say that out loud because I by no means had one of those like horror story childhoods that you read about on the news. Um, but my mom passed away when I was pretty little, I was nine and my parents were already divorced at that point. And so once my mom passed away, I ended up moving in with my dad and my stepmom and my stepmom and I did not have a good relationship. Um, I definitely think there was some, um, mental illness that was undiagnosed there and she was not always a pleasant person to be around. Um, so for me, even creative success is kind of allowing myself to be the person that I never allowed myself to be around her. Um, and that maybe sounds a little weird, but I was, I mean, it walked on eggshells for a good decade of life. Um, so just being able to like admit that these are the things that I want to do and this is the life that I want to live. And these are, you know, the things that I want to devote my time to is been really important to me. And that to me has been a success. Like I'm no longer defining myself by the people around me, but I'm really, you know, coming out of my shell and doing what I want. And that has been just exceedingly important to me the last couple of years. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's really hard. And it also takes a lot of bravery, I think, to really admit to yourself and to sort of stand up and say like, okay, this is who I am and this is what I want to do with my life. And it might not look like it's anything worthwhile to you. Um, and especially when it's <laughs> close family members, I think it can be especially difficult when they don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. Um, but that's a really important stand to take at some points and be like, no, you know what? Like this is my creative life and it matters to me. And so I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And I think it's been really good the last couple of years as I've been blogging and doing a little bit of photography and I don't do a lot of it. Um, I mean, having a full-time job kind of hinders the amount of gigs that you can take on a regular basis. Um, but just, you know, my blog makes, and I'm going to be upfront and honest, like $0. I think I have like $4 sitting in an Amazon affiliate account. That's been slowly building up over a year, but like a year it's $4. Um, I don't even mm -hmm. pay for my own hosting. It's, I, I kind of treat it in a lot of ways as a hobby. Um, and that's been really good too, to just see that I'm like 100% to committed to this. And I've been doing this now for two or three years and I've literally made $0. So obviously, um, you know, the stress and, um, you know, having to make time for this and having to be, you know, accountable to only myself, for zero dollars a day is, I think, what's um, proven to me that this is important to me and that I'm going to keep up doing it. Yeah, I think sometimes we need to separate the monetary value from the creative work because it's like, if it makes money, that's totally okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with making money from your art and from your creativity, but I wouldn't want anybody to not work toward their creative goals because it didn't earn money. Therefore, why would you bother? Exactly. It didn't earn money. Therefore it was not valid. Therefore you are wasting your time. 
Um, and I think those are really good things to kind of detach yourself from. So I'm almost kind of glad that, you know, I haven't been an overnight blogging success or whatever, because I don't think I'd be as committed mm -hmm. to the process and to being creative as if like I am now not an overnight blogging success and just kind of plodding along and doing the work because I want to be doing it. Yes. Agreed. So are we ready for our mini book club? Do you think? I think so. Right. So I had picked up or picked up, picked out a couple of books to talk about and um, not necessarily things that I've read recently, although one of them is, um, but more so things I think that fit with the theme of this episode. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about was called Creative You, which I think I've mentioned before, and it's basically a breakdown of the Myers-Briggs types, except with a focus on creativity oh, wow. and um, the types of creative processes and creative projects that are probably going to work best for your personality type. Um, a lot of the book is skim worthy because obviously like I didn't read all the personality types. I just read mine. Um, so like, it's a, like it's a bigger book since it's like kind of based on psychology, but then, you know, you can just flip through to the parts that are relevant to you. And I would really recommend that to anybody who's, um, having trouble, uh, nailing down their creative process. If you don't know your Myers-Briggs type, it'll walk you through how to figure that out. So um, that one comes highly recommended from me. I was going to say, I've never even heard of that book, and I consider myself to be somewhat of an MBTI nerd. So I am going to look that one up. Yeah, you'd love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it balances that that nerdness and that creativity all in one, I suppose. Yes, it does. Well, I know one book that we both have on our list is Essentialism by Greg mm -hmm. McEwen. And I think that is an important book for anybody to read. And I literally mean like anybody in the world who wants to like accomplish anything. <laughs> um, I, I think this I'm gonna, is accurate. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I said that to someone and my husband actually looked at me and goes, you haven't had me read this book. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess you should read this book too. So I think he'll be next on the list of people <laughs> that I hand it to. Um, but it was just it was so well written and you know, there's tons of things out there that talk about, you know, like, you know, get rid of everything that you can't do or outsource everything that you, um, you know, can't do yourself and, and that sort of thing. And we've even talked about that on the podcast here today. Um, but essentialism was really like getting down to the bones of what is absolutely essential for you to do. You need to focus on that and you need to let other things go. And the way that McEwen just kind of I guess, presents it. I mean, he has science, he has studies, he's been studying this topic for, for years now, and he's literally writing the book about it. Um, his perspective was just so good to me, and I felt like it had a lot of value and validation that maybe a lot of other books in a similar vein didn't have. Yeah, I totally agree. It had, um, I just feel like there was a lot of like practical wisdom there on not necessarily step by step of how to do this, but there was definitely a feeling of like, you think that you can't do this, but no, really you can. Like, I don't care who you are or what you need to make more time for. Like, this is totally something that mm -hmm. you can do. Um, yeah. So I also highly recommend that one for sort of clearing out the clutter of your life so that you can make whatever is a priority to you at the forefront I agree. And he has an entire chapter devoted, I think, to sleep and how important sleep is. And mm -hmm. I know like so many creatives are like, oh, you know, I only sleep three or four hours a week so that I can spend so much more time doing things. And he's like, no, that's stupid. Your body needs to sleep. And I just really appreciated that as someone who likes to sleep. 
<laughs> yes, I am right there with you. Although I don't get my um, beloved 10 hours a night anymore. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think kids kind of put a dent in that, but a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so another book that I just finished recently, actually, I sort of power read it over the weekend so I could talk about it here is called Overwhelmed Work, Love and Play When No One Has the Time by Bridget Schulte or Schultz, I don't know how to say her name. I should look these things up. But <laughs> um, in any case, it's. I had mixed feelings about this book because the subtitle is a little misleading. It says, when no one has the time, but this book is really about women, and it's even more specifically about married, working women with children. So, Well, then. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, the, the author is a journalist, so it's written in a very journalistic style. Um, it's a pretty dense book, even though it's not super long. It took me a couple months to get through it. But the ideas that she has about, um, like we were talking about, like sort of outsourcing household work to your other family members or to your spouse, um, she has a lot of different ideas about that. Um, she's studied different cultures and Um, sort of looked at how America does things differently than so many other cultures, particularly in Europe. And um, it's, it's a lot of studies, but I think she has some good points. I had to overlook a few spots where I felt like she was just too political without really needing to be political, Um, which is always a turnoff for me, no matter which side you end up on. Um, I 100% (laughs) agree with that. If you can't be biased, then don't write a book. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then at the end, I wish the section had been bigger, but at the very end, there's like maybe 25 pages with like actual really specific actionable tips about how to take more control of your time. So if nothing else, I guess I would recommend that people go to the library and pick up this book and read that last section. It's section five and then all the bullet points at the end, because those practical tips for taking back your time and making time for the things that matter are applicable to anybody, even though the rest of the book is really about women with children. <laughs> that is really good to hear. I know um, I read The Best Yes as well last year, which you mentioned earlier in this mm-hmm. episode. And it was the same kind of thing. Like it was essentialism, but for women, busy women with moms who most of which are also Christian. Um, so I think yes. it was it was two different Very perspectives. Audience. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been recommending essentialism because I just think it has a much wider audience than the other one. Yeah, I liked essentialism better, actually. Like, if I had to pick between the two, essentialism is what made a bigger impact for me, personally. I would agree, because I kind of forgot that I'd read The Best Yes, so. Yeah, and I admitted already that I didn't finish it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The only other one on my list is one that I recently read and recently talked about, and that would be Emily Freeman's A A Million Little Ways. Um, And that one, for me, Mm -hmm. just kind of reinforced that spending time on my creativity is valuable time spent. Um, and like we've already talked about, like, you know, sometimes we view creativity as a waste and we think we should be doing other things. And for me, it just really reinforced that like you were made to create and you can take the time for yourself to create things and you shouldn't feel guilty about that. So that kind of helped me get over the fact that Scott is doing the dishes right now while I'm talking. So... (laughs) Yes, I second that one as well. That is a fantastic book for anybody in any sort of creative genre. So I agree 100%. Well, 
Good deal. So I think we've talked pretty thoroughly about how we manage our own creative lives or how we're stumbling through managing our creative lives. (laughs) We definitely don't have it all figured out. (laughs) How it changes every day. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have it figured out. And I think that's part of why this podcast exists is because none of us have it 100% all figured out, but some of us have certain parts of it figured out. And I think together, if we can be real and honest and learn from another one another, we'll all get a little closer to that 100%. We'll never get there, but we'll get closer. Thanks for listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure to stop by ChasingCreative.com to check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes, and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you leave us a review on iTunes. You can also join in the creative conversation by tweeting to us at Abigail E. Krebs or at Brooks Editorial or by using the hashtag ChasingCreative on Twitter and Instagram. If there's a guest you'd love to hear from on the podcast, or if you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at chasingcreativepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go chase your creative.